1: we uh-huh.
0: Welcome to Nobody Told Me, Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. If you are looking for a way to improve your life, stay tuned. Our guest on this episode, Dr. Mike Rucker, says we can all benefit physically and psychologically from adding more fun to our lives. Dr. Rucker is
1: an organizational psychologist who says fun is a direct neurological route to improving our well-being, and yet it's also a skill that requires some training. He's the author of the new book, The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder can change your life. Dr. Barker, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so
2: much for having me.
1: I know you say that your mission is to help the world have more fun. Why is that important to you? So,
2: as a tool to live sort of an action oriented life, I've found it a better mechanism for living a joyful life than pursuing happiness uh, aimlessly. And so, my quick backstory is in, that I had been using the tools of positive psychology for quite some time. I'm a charter member of the International Positive Psychology Association. Um, that formed around 2009. And the only reason that's important is just to show that I've been using these tools for, for years. Cheek Set Me High created this amazing book called Flow. And then a gentleman by the name of Marty Segleman came out with a book called Authentic Happiness. Around that time. And then a bunch of psychologists and life coaches and things of that nature created this group. Um, and I, around that time, that's when the ideas of positive psychology, mindfulness, gratitude journaling, things of that nature really got popularized and rightfully so because they work. And so I think you saw, you know, toxic positivity wasn't really this label that we were talking about much. And there was this overemphasis. I'm being concerned about your own happiness that was slowly starting to grow. And, but it it, it was still working, right? There's still so many of us that were really overly concerned about how we could get happier. And uh, quite frankly, those mechanisms were working for me. But in 2016, unfortunately, my younger brother passed away quite suddenly from a pulmonary embolism. And I'd also been a endurance athlete up until that point, an amateur one, you know, really just enjoying that um activity. But it was also a great way for me to mitigate, you know, low level anxiety. And um, quite suddenly found out that these two, you know, aren't correlated. But um, a couple months after my brother's death, found out I had advanced osteoarthritis, uh, likely due to an injury, and that I wasn't going to be able to run again. And so in that year, I had these two pretty tough things happen to me. Yet I was still this person that highly valued happiness. And so I kept trying to chase it, trying to will myself to be happier. And paradoxically, I was just making myself more miserable, almost to the point of low level depression. And I was kind of mindful that this was happening, but I was still frustrated because I wanted to be a happy person. And so I just finished my doctoral work in the Bay Area. And like any good academic, I was like, okay, you know, there's a problem here. um, So let me discover it. And Uh, serendipitously around that time there was emerging research coming out that this Western ideal of being concerned about happiness was quite problematic and that it correlated highly with not being happy for one, but actually uh, more insidious people that were really stuck in that mode often tended to become, uh, you know, clinically mentally ill. Unfortunately it would lead to depression and bipolar disorder in some cases. And so if these tools of positive psych had kind of failed me in that moment, so not necessarily, you know, not helpful for some, but certainly not helpful for me in that time, what could be done? And I realized that even if you're not, you know, it's not an appropriate time in life to identify as being happy, you can still be deliberate and kind of recapture some of your agency and autonomy and do things that you like. And once you start to index those those moments where you're really enjoying yourself even if you're not identifying as a happy person once you start to build a corpus of those experiences happiness just becomes a great byproduct of that and now through studies since 2016 we kind of know why and that's because happiness tends for most people to be this act of evaluation right like i'm i want to be there but i'm here so what's that you know what's the problem with me And once you really start to ruminate on that distance between, you know, where you are and where you want to be, then not being happy starts to bleed into your identity, right? And you start thinking more about how you're not happy rather than just experiencing life. And so fun as a construct, as I define it, really just living your life pleasurably in a deliberate manner tends to take most people out of that space because you don't have any time for introspection, right? You're really just realizing that you have more control over your domain than you once believed.
0: But you know what I really liked as well was you write a lot about how to remember the good moments. So it's not like you're saying, Hey, I need to just have fun, do some fun activity and forget the fun that I had with my brother or forget the fun I had as an athlete. Can you tell us a little bit more about how people can incorporate that and reap the benefits of the fun they've had in the past?
2: Absolutely. So Um, The act's called reminiscing and it's essentially an activity of savoring things after the moment. And so a lot of us journal kind of introspectively, right? And try to unpack life and assign meaning. And a lot of times if that goes off the rails, especially if you're kind of, you know, in a period of melancholy or whatnot, that can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you deliberately try to recall things that did bring joy to your life, there's a few things that happen. That active savoring, we know, puts us in a joyful state. So we actually can mentally relive those fun activities. And now in the moment, we're actually having fun. They can also lead to primes to do something in the future, right? So if we're remembering an amazing event that we had with a friend that we haven't kept in touch with, it could prime us to actually reach out to that friend and even better schedule time to do something again with that person. And then the third thing is, is that it can lead us to understand what does bring us joy and what doesn't. And so, you know, once we start to figure out what are the things that we do want to reminisce about, we start to predict like, okay, this was really good and really healthy for me. How can I integrate more of this in my life? So there's sort of three pretty significant benefits from the practice.
1: How do you define fun? I mean, what is it that we should be going for when we try to incorporate this fun habit into our lives?
2: Yeah. So fun simply defined in the context of the book is anything where we're enjoying how we're spending our time, right? And why that becomes important with regards to just the simple definition is a lot of things that we think that we are doing for fun ultimately aren't really leading to something that that we can enjoy later, right? And so you know, something as simple as scrolling through social media, we might think in the moment that we're enjoying that time. But ultimately, when someone asks you a week later or two weeks later, like, hey, what was it you did at 3pm on a Thursday, you're not going to remember, right? And why that becomes important is how we index these memories really allows us to dilate time. And so if we're living life as more of a tapestry of things that we enjoy, and that can be simple things of just you know, playing with your dog, enjoying coffee with friends, but making sure you're taking time off the table for things that you really like rather than living just kind of a habituated life of doing things to really, you know, get to the, to the next event. That's what it allows us to feel better because once we're starting to have this rich um, uh, activities in our life, that allows us to like look back at the time we spent And by proxy, start enjoying life in the moment rather than, you know, worrying about what's upcoming in the future.
1: We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And if you're like us, your pet is a member of the family. We've had 15 dogs over the years, most of them rescues. They've each been unique characters with their own likes and dislikes in terms of food. And lately, we've
0: been feeding them Nom Nom and it's a big hit with each of the three dogs we currently have. One of our dogs is young, one is middle-aged, and one is a senior, and they all get excited when we put Nom
1: Nom in their bowls. Nom Nom delivers fresh dog food with every portion personalized to your dog's needs so you can bring out their best Every Nom Nom meal features high-quality proteins and vegetables mixed with targeted vitamins and minerals to provide the essential nutrients dogs need at every life stage. Nom Nom is made with real, whole food you can see and recognize without any additives or fillers that contribute to bloating and low energy. Our dogs love Nom Nom, and we love seeing how happy it makes them. Nom Nom uses the latest science and insights to make real good food for dogs. Their nutrient-packed recipes are crafted by board-certified veterinary nutritionists. Made fresh and shipped free to your door. Nom Nom's
0: already delivered over 40 million meals to good dogs like yours, inspiring millions
1: of clean bowls and tail wags. Plus, Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. So if your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom nom. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynomcom slash nobody, spelled com slash nobody for 50% off trinom.com slash nobody. It's impossible
0: not to compare our lives to other people. If it's somebody we have an intimate relationship with or somebody we've never met, like somebody on social media, like you were talking about. And I loved how you write that feeling happy can often have less to do with our actual experience and to do with how we think it compares to someone else's. So how can we overcome that barrier?
2: Yeah. So it just requires a little bit of premeditation, right? Truly understanding what is the things that you want to do and how do you want to spend your time? And so a simple exercise could be just, you know, brainstorming a list of things that you actually enjoy so that you can be mindful of that rather than all of these external influences, whether that's things marketed to you, whether that's, you know, influencers on social media, oh, I should be doing that thing. If you go from, the inward to outward, so you're really using, you know, your own being to figure out what are those things that you want to do and starting from that place, then how you spend your time is truly authentic and generally leads to more authentic joy than something that's sort of prescribed. Now, that's not to say that, especially with pro-social behavior, doing things that your friends like that you might not like can be equally as enjoyable, but oftentimes what we fall victim to is just mindfully doing things because we heard about it and we're kind of getting along to get along, right? And so getting ahead of it and really understanding what is it that you want to do and then making sure that those things are deliberately put into your calendar, that ends up going, okay, now I'm flexing my agency and autonomy and I'm doing things that I know that I really like.
1: I thought it was really interesting that you talk about how as we age, we encounter more obstacles to having fun. And I was thinking that as I got older, I was aware of people saying, oh, don't be silly and you need to be more serious and that kind of stuff. So what are those those kinds of obstacles that adults encounter when they think about having fun?
2: Yeah, I think there's a whole host, right? And so there's not a one size fits all answer for this, but there are certainly a lot of culprits and we all face various headwinds. So Some of it can be the Puritan work ethic. You know, we get to a certain age and we kind of, the lens that in which we operate is from a sense of duty, right? And so there's this concept called the U-shaped curve of happiness. And it's because in the modern world, I mean, it's kind of fortunate um, in most aspects, but it does have some drawbacks that a lot of us are having kids later in life. And luckily all of us are living longer, right? So that means folks kind of between the age of 35 and 50 aren't just caring for their children, but they're also generally caring for their aging parents. And so coming from that place can get in the way of thinking, well, I just don't have time for myself right now because of my, you know, my stage in life. Now, the paradox there is that, you know, just like in the 90s where we villainized sleep to some degree, like if you were really grinding it out, then, you know, you're waiting for the kids to go to bed and you were doing all this stuff, you know, after they went to bed, staying up till one, we now don't sensationalize that anymore. You don't hear anyone, even the folks that were championing that the most, you know, the Gary V's of the world, no one, you know, celebrates sleep deprivation because we know how bad sleep deprivation has an impact on our health. And I think we're now at this new frontier where fun and leisure is sort of the same thing. We know that folks that don't have a transition ritual from sort of their work and dutiful, you know, activities, whether that's caring for other people's or, you know, whatever it is, if they're not taking time off so that they're actually enjoying a certain aspect of their life, they're not showing up the next day, the best version of themselves. And so oftentimes that quickly becomes a downward spiral where if you're not enjoying things at all, you're, you're actually not living up to the expectations that you set for yourself because you're not able to be that person that you should be for the ones that you love. For some people, it's just they've habituated their lives. So a lot of folks fall into a routine and then kind of lose sight of the fact that their life has become habituated, even though they're not really enjoying the things that they do, right? And so for some folks, that could be something as simple as doom scrolling. For others, it could be something as complex as uh, relationships of convenience, where you know, they really shouldn't be spending time with this particular person, but they're doing it. And that's because they haven't critically looked at like, wow, this just really isn't a good use of my time. And so looking for those opportunities, finding the space so that you can create joy is often the most important first step, right? Because I I always like the opportunity to say the fun habit isn't meant to be additive, right? I think that's kind of under the umbrella of toxic positivity to say, Hey, you know what, we're going to add all these fun things in your life to make your life more fun. Like that just becomes another task, another thing that we quote unquote have to do. It's really shifting the mindset into how can we view life that where most of the things that we're engaging in are get to do activities and not have to do activities.
1: How
0: does a work, play, hybrid life fit into this? Since we were talking off the air about how a lot of people in big cities have moved to different places, maybe to enjoy their lives a little bit more.
2: Yeah, I think it's really figuring out what that transition ritual is, right? And so, what we know, especially in the modern workplace, is that as algorithmic work, you know, to use Dan Pink language, moved into heuristic work we don't really know where the goalpost is anymore. And oftentimes it can move, right? You know, it's one of those, you're doing such a great job that more stuff gets put on your plate. And so whatever the work environment is for you, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're working for someone else, I think creating clear communication channels of understanding what it is that is meant for you to do in that week. And then figuring out what is the transition ritual where you're turning off yourself from work And you're able to be there either for yourself for the things that you want to do or being there for the ones that you love and trying to figure out how you want to have fun with them but you know to answer your question specifically it's really how are you creating that transition ritual so that once work is over once that kind of sense of duty is done that you know what are you know where the time is in your schedule that's really meant for you to be able to enjoy life
1: I know you advocate creating a fun list. Tell us more about that and what goes into it and what kinds of things we might want to put on it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that last part I can't do, right? Because, you know, fun is so unique to each individual. Um, To highlight this, I often say that most of the things that I enjoy are really high arousal. I like edge work and loud music. And for my wife... Fun for her is really things more in a calm state, reading a great book and getting engrossed in it or sitting next to a pool and you know just enjoying that quiet time. So whatever goes on your list, I'm not gonna prescribe that. But what I do advocate for is being a little bit premeditated about it because that um, creates a couple of advantages. So one, it gets your juices thing, right? A lot of us are like, oh, I just don't know how to have fun anymore. As interesting as that sounds, there are a lot of us in that camp. And so either reconnecting to the things that you used to enjoy, getting mindful about things that you want to do, or things that you want to plan in the future becomes an important step because then at least you've done that work. And then paring it down to things that you can take instant action on, right? So, you know, and this kind of grounded in science, but getting down to a list of about eight or 12 things So that you can instantly put those in action by scheduling them on your calendar. So, you know, if your list is too broad, um, which you should do at the beginning, right? I'm not certainly not trying to stifle anybody's creativity or, you know, enjoying the act of curiosity of, of putting the initial list together. But once you have that, kind of paring it down so that you don't fall victim to the paradox of choice, because we do know that. Intuitively or not, when we have these big lists, we tend to, you know, just like our to-do lists, right, they become overwhelming and we can put them to the side. But if you're mindful of like, wait, let me figure out things that I can take almost immediate action on, then we tend to incorporate those things. And the best part about fun is that once you get started, it quickly becomes this upward spiral. Once you understand that you can control some of your time in any given week, and that you have more agency and autonomy about how you spend your time, it quickly becomes, um, you know, this thing that you want to do more and more. And so, you know, it might be just recapturing two or three hours in the 168 hours that you have in any given week. But once you understand, like, wow, okay, so living life a little bit more joyfully is a lot more fun than than. You know, the the week I had prior, then you'll start to get even more creative. Like, okay, well, I don't have more time, but maybe a couple of these activities, like house chores that I don't find fun at all, I could make more fun by, you know, pairing a podcast like yours, you know, that's really enjoyable to listen (laughs) to, or maybe your favorite music. For me, you know, I'm a product of the 90s. And so I grew up listening to gangster rap, rap, and there's no way I can listen to any of that in front of my kids. So, you know, actually, when I clean the house, it's my opportunity to kind of recapture that time I put on headphones and and they can't hear any of it. So um, anyways, it just becomes, you know, once you kind of get a taste for it, it becomes really fun to see how you can integrate more opportunities for really enjoying your time uh, in, in ways that you might not have thought of.
0: You know that there's going to be somebody who listens to this who's going to say, I don't even have two to three hours a week. You write about awe, and I'm wondering if we get the same benefits of awe as brief as they may be if we're just looking up at the, at the as we do from fun.
2: Yeah, I yeah think I so. Think. So, so awe I separate from fun um, primarily because when we are in those moments, that transcends our need for meaning-making, and also we generally don't experience emotion in those moments. So it's It's this really special place. And I think you certainly can find it by being deliberate of creating opportunities where that might exist. So for many people that's getting out in nature, whatever that means for you, Um, to your point, it can be really practicing the art of mindfulness where you're looking for those things you know, where you're getting curious about those things that are, that connect you to something bigger. So it could be like, I interviewed Lisa Feldman Barrett for her. It's just looking for little plants in the cracks of cement and like realizing that life can exist even in these concrete jungles that, that we've created. Right. To your point, it can be just stargazing and realizing how infinite the, the world is, but creating opportunities to connect, to realizing that you're, that you're kind of this small thing and a much bigger thing. What's magical about that space is we realize that these things that seemed like really big problems to us are probably a lot smaller. And so we can go back into the world that we've created for ourselves, but we realize that a lot of the problems that, that we thought were really big and heavy are a little bit more manageable than, than we did before we were in those states of awe.
1: I know that another suggestion of yours, and, and I thought this was interesting, was to reconsider the gym. What <laughs> do you mean by that? Oh, you're going to get me in trouble
2: because, you know, my day job is working in the fitness industry. <laughs> but so I like this because I, I don't get to talk about this enough. And I, I think, you know, I have engaged in a lot of. Uh, with behavioral scientists and, and, and it's clear that for a majority of people, likely 80%, you know, based on the data I've seen, exercise isn't enjoyable. Uh, we understand that we, we need to do it, but for the most part, when you look at, you know, Charles Duhigg's work or, or any sort of, you know, near look at these behavioral models where reward is a key component to getting people to come back. Exercise and the quote unquote runner's high isn't a reward actualized by most people. And so I think what we're going to see over the next 10 years is how do we create that reward in that environment so that, you know, similar to the activity bundling that I was talking about, you know, where I don't really enjoy cleaning the house, but I really do look forward to that time because I enjoy listening to music. It will be the same thing, right? We're, we're, we're more considerate, especially as an industry that thinks fitness is a reward because we're all believers that, you know, for the majority of the folks, we need to figure out how do we create that fun environment where they want to come back and that the reward isn't necessarily exercise. And so that can be a whole host of ways. It can be, you know, making the uh, experience in the environment a lot more inviting, it can be the instructors creating more social bonds. We know that group fitness is much more motivating and you see much higher retention than, you know, individuals in the weight room. So how can we fix that? How could you create, you know, for the introverts that don't necessarily want to be um, in a group, how could you create an experience where there's still these carrots that bring them back because it's fun? And again, it could be music, it could be Um, you know, creating a really delightful experience, uh, equinox is good at this, you know, the, um, sort of eucalyptus towels at the end. So it's not the workout, but it's the feeling that you get at the, you know, the end of the experience that makes you want to come back. So I think it's just realizing that exercise in and of itself for most people is work. And that if we do want to create healthy habits, how can we create it so that it's more enjoyable? Um, one uh, academic i thought characterized it in a really good way and that is that um you know for folks that are familiar for uh, system one and system two thinking system one being things that where we just enjoy it right we don't really need to think about it and it's not hard that really being the reward and then you know getting away from thinking that anything that system two um will bring people back and so sorry that's a little bit in the weeds but again, you know, creating these experiences and really adding elements that are enjoyable so that the hard work doesn't seem as hard.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've really found that since the pandemic... I've had really a lot of the same benefits that I had in group fitness classes, which I was the biggest fan of. I've had the same benefits if I do group fitness classes live on Zoom. So I think that's kind of an interesting way for an introvert to to get their fill of, <laughs> of that kind of a gym yeah. environment, the social fix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's,
2: I think that's why Peloton is a hit, right? You know, certainly there's some interesting context because they had such hyper growth and so many people enjoyed it. And also gyms weren't available, you know, so they're going through tough times financially, but that you still can't say that they're, you know, that's not an amazing tool that that has a tribe that just absolutely loves them. And it goes to exactly what you're speaking about. I mean, you know, each time I get on that bike, it's like, I've been invited to a party. Um, And so, you know, I think you're going to continue to see that. And, if you can replicate the experience of something like Peloton, you know, within the four walls of the fitness environment, and you're starting to see that happen, um, you know, even though Barry's bootcamp is super hard, the instructors there, you know, are just so fun to be around that that draws people back into that experience. It's actually really hard work, especially that particular brand. Right. And so I think you're going to start to see versions of that where, you're really being more member-centric than trying to prescribe fitness. Thanks mm-hmm. for queuing that up. I haven't talked about that enough. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I was actually talking about Barry's because I've taken 1,200 classes at Barry's. So the go. pandemic was a was a <laughs> a big thing at closing, and I think they've actually done a really good job having an online platform now with Barry's X, I actually think it's, it's translated because you do miss the act, the, the instructors and the kind of energy that they bring to the room and the connection. Cause if you're in those classes and you're communicating somewhat with those people, they're calling you out. I think it gives you a lot of the same benefits and now being in a city without a Barry's it's been a fun way to, to maintain a connection. I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, they, I know that they built that from the ground up and primarily because they knew that, you know, the magic at berries was going to get lost in something like Zoom. And so making sure that, you know, what we call in psychology, that social contagion, you know, your attachment to your classmates and the instructor were a part of the virtual experience, I think is why they did fairly well during the pandemic when so many other health clubs that, you know, suffered because they did, they, lose, they lost that connection.
1: Mike, we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson that you'd Mm -hmm. like to pass on to others? So what is it that nobody told you about having?
2: Yeah, so I think
1: we had to learn the hard way and that you'd really like to pass on.
2: Yeah, you know, we touched on it already, but I think, you know, this emerging idea, you know, one professor I like a lot is Dr. Iris Mouse, but her work, she's out of Cal. um, A lot of her work has now been replicated. And that is that being overly concerned with your own happiness is extremely problematic. And that's not necessarily saying that you can't value happiness. In fact, you know, nothing is wrong with that. Wanting people to be happy, wanting yourself to be happy, that's fine. But once we get overly concerned and we're ruminating on the fact that we're not where we want to be, is generally insanely counterproductive. And that a much better way is just to realize that even in the moment, if you're not feeling great, you can start to create joyful and delightful moments in your life. And that once you index enough of those, happiness is going to be an amazing byproduct. And don't wait around for when that's going to happen. It's kind of going to just spring up on you. But once, you know, once you reclaim the fact that you do have a lot more control and agency and autonomy over how you spend your time and you start spending your time deliberately looking for things that really light you up and connect you to things, you know, that are bigger than yourself, you'll just naturally be probably happier than you've ever been. And I do wish someone had kind of clued me into that a little bit earlier. I probably wouldn't have had so many problems come 2016.
1: Well, you just have
0: the best book. We both really enjoyed it. If you if you can't oh, tell, you so we, we loved it. We <laughs> we really did, and we want everybody to get it. So, where can people get it, and how can they connect with you on social media?
2: Oh, thank you so much for queuing that up. Yeah, I, it's available everywhere, which is great. <laughs> um, you know, you could get it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble if if you enjoy those two places, or support your local bookstore. Um, And then my website's michaelrucker.com. And I play a little bit on social media. I've been trying to back away a little bit, you know, eat my own dog food as it were. But um, (laughs) I I do like Instagram, uh, you know, especially communicating with with others through DM. So I'm there on the wonder of fun um, and Twitter, although I'm I'm rolling back from that uh, at Perform Better. Thanks for that opportunity to share those.
1: Well, thank you for uh, injecting some fun into the podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. It's It's been a pleasure. Again, our thanks to Dr. Mike Rucker, whose new book is called The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. And again, his website is michaelrucker.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.